welcome. You're listening to RUF at the University of Oklahoma. So, uh, we are all semester looking at the parables that Jesus told. We call it um, big, big ideas, small stories, or small stories, big ideas. Now, let me tell you um, why we call it that. Is we're looking at how Jesus, when he was moving around, teaching in his three-year ministry, he was um, notorious for telling these stories. And he didn't just go around telling good stories. He told stories to make a point, to teach us great truth about ourselves and about God. And so tonight, uh, we have a, a parable or a story intended to teach a big idea about how we relate to our money, wealth, possessions, etc. And how that relates to our relationship with God. And so, we're just going to look at one parable tonight, and we could. there's a lot of material in the Bible. Uh, and so, I have taken a lot of time to, to craft a seven-page document called A Systematic Theology of Money in the Bible. And if you will just put your email on that clipboard that's going around, we can email you that in a PDF. It's a good resource to have, uh, as it takes you all the way through Scripture on what, what it says about uh, money and how we work. So, with all that to say, let's read... Luke chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 13 and go through 21. It should be on the board behind me and then in front of you on the handout too. If you do have a um, question tonight, we always invite you to text the number on your handout, 205 number, or you can just ask, your, uh, or ask it by raising your hand afterwards, but we, we welcome Q&A after the, after the talk. So hear the word of God from verse 13 and on in chapter 12 of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Jesus said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May He add His blessing to it tonight and teach us. Amen. Okay, so if you were early to RUF tonight, you got to chat with people. If you're late, that's fine. Um, Darby and George and I were having a conversation earlier about the awkwardness of the close talker situation. When you're in a social setting and someone is really close to you in your face, talking, and they're, they're sort of unaware 
of that social convention of you stand a certain amount away from people when you chat, right? Some of you look totally confused as to what I'm talking about. But when some, you, some of you have seen that. When some, if you've lived long enough, you've met a close talker, and, and, and it's, it's just awkward, right, sometimes. So um, you just, it's, a, it's a lack of awareness. And so this guy, the parable, uh, and what, what it says in your Bible, probably if you have your Bible, or on your sheet, it says that there's a heading there, Parable of the Rich Fool. And what's interesting about that is that's not in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a title we've given it. And if you're going through this story, really up until verse 20, the people who are listening to Jesus tell it, like this guy sounds like a kind of a good guy, a guy you'd want to be like. I mean, he's, he's really got a lot going for him. Uh, he's kind of a hero, and, and we would think he's, he's a guy that I can pattern myself after. But it all turns around in verse 20. So he is very unaware of his true condition. And we want to we note that the, the word fool, we call it fool, in the Bible, uh, that goes back to Psalm 14, where it says, it defines a fool for us, and it says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you're a note-taking person, go back and look at what a fool is biblically, a biblical definition of a fool. Not, not the way we would say fool all the time, but, but fool means, hey, like, you know, when, when OU played Kansas State this week uh, and we beat them 55-0. to zero. Um, Yeah, Boomer Sooner, right? That's a beatdown if I've ever seen one, but that's what we should do with OU, right? We should be winning every game like that. Now, but, but there were, I mean, when, you, when you do a counterplay or a reverse, or a reverse, like we fool them, right? Or when we do play-action passes and they think we're running the ball and we throw it over their heads, that's fooling them. They didn't see that one coming, in other words. So, so this guy is a fool in our text because he doesn't see what's coming. He doesn't acknowledge God as, as who he is, and he doesn't see it. And so, like I said, so you've got the, the context of this is that it's in a dispute about money. Somebody just like, hey, Jesus, like, help us out here. We've got this dispute about an inheritance. And I, need you, I need you to help me divide it. And I tell you, money is something you fight about, isn't it? Uh, money will cause a, a conflict between you and your friends. Oh, so-and-so didn't pay their share of gas on the ski trip last year. And that ended, like, that broke up RUF, essentially. No, we didn't actually break, could break up RUF. Disputes over money, we take that very seriously. Um, yeah, with marital problems, like when, I did, when I'm, I'm doing a wedding this summer and I'm doing premarital counseling, we spend uh, a month where, where I'm making them read about money and how you do a budget and things like that. And my budget is just, hey, whatever my wife wants, okay? And that's, what, that's, how, that's how it works, right? Yeah, so she, you, want your wife, you want your wife to know what she can get uh, to, help her, to help her to stay happy. So that's a, that's a freebie for you. Um, you know, your parents, you know, you want them to buy things and you want to buy things and, and there's disagreements on that roommates, who's going to pay for what? Money is a huge deal. And they're having a dispute about money in verse 13. And then Jesus says, I'm, I don't want to be the judge of this. And he tells a story to sort, of, to sort of push them to think about how they relate to money without answering the question. Okay, So we should be able to, to really deal with our money and manage our wealth. Not that a lot of us have a lot of wealth. But that's the idea. Maybe we'll be gainfully employed someday and have some wealth to manage and to use. Okay, 
finances, budgeting, all these sort of things, very important to our lives, very practical. And again, the Bible talks a lot about it. So Jesus gets questioned about this all the time. So the first thing we've got to do is to be worried and concerned about being owned by our wealth. Not, not owning it, not managing it, but it managing us. And so we have these guys fighting about their, the money. Okay, their, 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 their greed is creating uh, some blind spots to obvious things like charity and mercy, which we talked about last week. They're wanting to get what is theirs, what's coming to them. So they have blind spots. So then there's this, this unawareness, this social unawareness that, that what we are doing is, is actually going to bring destruction to our relationships with others and to God. I guess the most obvious example that we all have a problem about this, we have an obvious problem with our money, but the obvious blind spot of how our problem with money and, and wanting to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate money and wealth for us is none other than Judas Iscariot. Does anyone know who that is? Does that, ring, does that name ring a bell? Don't be a Judas, okay? Judas Iscariot. Now, those, we, we don't expect everyone who comes to RUF to be a seasoned Bible scholar, okay? We're not playing Bible trivia here. Uh, and, and we welcome everyone, uh, all comers, regardless of what kind of knowledge you had, whether or not you went to private Christian school or Catholic school, or, or this is your first time in a Christian Bible study. But Judas Iscariot is kind of a big deal in the story. Judas is one of the 12 apostles that Jesus called. And Judas um, is the one who betrays Jesus. Now, what did Judas get out of that? Well, he got 30 pieces of silver. Okay, what is 30 pieces of silver worth? Okay, 30 pieces of silver is worth four months' salary for a normal worker. Well, you know what else that's worth? A slave. That would buy you a slave in the first century. Roman world. That's what Judas took as payment for betraying, oh, the Son of God. Okay, Jesus, his friend who changed his life and changes our lives. He is the Savior, the Lamb of God. And Judas sold him out for the price of a slave. It's ironic, Jesus came to serve us rather than to be served. And he, gets, he, he is sold for the price of a slave. He is our doulos, our servant, our slave for our salvation. Judas, the ultimate example of short-sightedness when it came to money. Okay, he is where we're... It, He's our reductio ad absurdum. He is where we're going if we don't get our money under control. He's the ultimate example. And what did it get him? He ultimately ended his own life. It destroyed him to take, to take um, Jesus' uh, life for the 30 pieces of silver, a four-month salary. So we're, our coveting uh, is, what, is what Jesus calls that. Look at verse 15. He says, look guys, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, coveting is a much broader category than just money, okay? Coveting could be coveting someone else's wife or husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, anything. Anything can be coveted. And coveting, really why it's wrong, is we, is we want to seek to let our minds be informed by the Bible. And the Bible tells us that God is our creator and our sustainer, and he gives us exactly what we need. 
right? He will be with us and give us what we need. So if we are pining away after things that God hasn't given us and that aren't ours, then we're distrusting Him. And that's why that's, that's you know, wicked. I think that needs to go back that way. Guys, so, okay, so we're going we're gonna to just, uh, that is distracting me how that thing is going around. Um, so, but, but I tell you, Jesus is telling them, covetousness is the root of this. It's not trusting that what I have is enough. And God says, what I give you is enough. Man, he says, you know, if I'm going to clothe the fields, the lilies of the field, and I'm going to take care of the sparrows, not a hair from your head is going to fall without me noticing it. I've got it. You're in my hands. I've got you. That's what he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount. That is the clear teaching of Scripture throughout the whole thing. Um, God, God says, look, I took you in Deuteronomy 8. He says, I took you people out of slavery. And not only did I set you free, but I gave you wealth. And so he tells his people to not be like the nations who feel like they are the ones in control of the resources, the money, and the wealth. He says, look, if anything's clear, I've set you free, I've given you all things, and you've got to trust me. So we have a hard time believing that. Why? Because God's invisible, <laughs> isn't he? It's hard to believe that my 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 hours a week of work now, I'm an already a campus minister, so, you know, that's, I don't do 70 hours of work. I do one, one day a week, okay? I show up here and teach, right? Or I show up in the cafeteria, you know, and see you and meet with you. But, but you know, saying I have a, a, di- a different job, you know, like, I mean, it, we have a hard time separating my work, my input with my output, and that that's really not just me and all the ordinary things in this world, and then my wise investing that's going to... Uh, accumulate to my bank account that I didn't have anything that I really didn't have anything to do with that. But he like what that's what Jesus that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you look at the parable, he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now it wasn't the rich man. It, he's dependent upon the land. He's also dependent upon God to make the land produce. Okay? It, it, all the circumstances behind everyone's wealth had to be, it had to be divinely designed for, for us to have what we have, either our wealth or our poverty. In our poverty or in our plenty, we've, we've got to learn to be content with both. Okay, so Trump, whether you're Trump or whether you're Justin Westmoreland, you've got to be thankful for what you have and content. He says covetousness is going to kill you. Okay, and why, why is that a problem? Because your life is more than the abundance of your possessions. And you know what? This rich man who we idolize, his land produced plentifully. Now, I mentioned earlier, I alluded to this, that, that when we're looking at this parable, if you, weren't, if you didn't have the parable of the rich fool like right in front of your face, you'd be reading it or hearing it for the first time, you'd think, well, he's kind of a good guy. Because in the Proverbs, it says, look, if you live a wise, righteous life, if you had a biblical background, you think, well, wisdom... Good character, good faithful living, and hard work. If you commit yourself to those things, you're going to prosper, and you're going to have good and wonderful things to show for that. And so, that, so we're so we're thinking a rich man is going to be a good man, okay? But then there's also that's although it's a general rule, it doesn't always play out that way. And so you see God's people crying out about that, and like in Psalms, like Psalm 73, where they're like. Look, I'm seeing all these wicked people like 
prospering and I'm like suffering here and I just don't get it. And so, so this is, this is a clear example of, of kind of the breakdown of that. You see a, a bad guy who's prospering. He's a fool. So he asks this question, I've got all this stuff and I don't know what to do with it. He's a hoarder. He's hoarding all his stuff. And he says, uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm just going to keep it. And he says, look, I'm just going to eat, relax, drink, be merry. It sounds like, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a Fiji. <laughs> I'm messing with George. It sounds like an OU student, doesn't it? I'm, I'm throwing the Fiji on the bus because you're right there. You know, like, it sounds like we're just going to have our party. and We're just going to have a great time. And it's going to be wonderful. I, I apologize for that. Uh, it was uncalled for. Um, so, but, uh, we, you know, it's like, we're just going to party it up here. Because we got all this stuff. We got the nice, nice uh, barn house here. We're just going to build a bigger barn house and keep it all here. Um, no, no thought of um, we could help somebody out at all. Well, this guy is a greedy guy. And what I want to say is that we're all there. We all want more for some reason. We are not, we're all never content with what we have. And we're consumed by that greed, or we can be. And we have blind spots because we're unaware that God is with us and that He's providing all that we need. And so what is the answer to that? We just throw up our hands and be like, well, we're bad people. Okay, we deserve punishment for that. We deserve to be like this guy, totally having the rug pulled out from under us and called a fool in verse 20. That's what we deserve, right? But the good news is, is that not only are we greedy, God is greedy, okay? We are consumed by our lust for things, for possessions, for people, for, th- for all, that, all that we want, all that we think we need, but God is also greedy. In what way? He's greedy for His glory, and so he wants as much glory in this world, in this creation, as can be. And so how does he purpose to do that? Well, he's, he's ordained that we're going to have a fall, and we're just going to be sin in the world, and there's going to be evil, and that he's going to overcome it. And one part of that, the biggest part of that, is that Jesus, at the right time, the right place, is going to come, and he's going to lay down his life, and he's going to be consumed with, with love for God's people and greedy for them and consumed by all of our sin and all of our greed because the Father is so covetous of us. Now, see what I'm doing? I'm taking like what we do in our negative jealousy and, and I'm turning around and I'm saying, God is jealous. And the Bible actually says God is a jealous God for you and for me. He's jealous for us and He wants to have us so desperately that He makes the way fully. And how does He do that? It's not by Him going 50% of the way and us picking it up from there and running the baton on, or Him going 99% of the way and we get finishing up with that last percentage. What He does is He looks at people who are dead in sin and all, the, all judgment on them, and He says, I'm going to pick George. I'm going to pick Justin. I'm going to pick on you again. So George. I'm going to pick Justin. I'm going to pick Meredith. I'm going to pick... All these wonderful people that are terrible, like just awful. We don't deserve this. Like, but he's consumed with this mysterious love for us out of his heart. That's why he loves us. He has set his love on us and knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's consumed with love for us that he won't let us perish. He won't let us remain in our shame and rebellion and sin. 
He's going to give His own Son, and the Son's going to willingly take on that cross because of joy set before Him, because He's consumed with love for His Father, and they're going to redeem us. He's jealous for us. And so that is everything in life. If you know that, you can hold loosely to your possessions. But if you don't know that, then what other purpose is there than eat, drink, be merry, and build bigger barns? There's no other purpose. Just keep building and building and building and building. And then what's going to happen is that, oh, we're ultimately going to lose all that. It's all going to be taken away from us. The answer is that we don't have to be rich in our possessions, but it says at the end of the parable is that we can be rich toward God. Now, what does it mean to be rich toward God, right? What, is that, what does that look like? Okay, so when you're thinking about rich toward God, you might think of somebody, not you, okay? Like you might think of somebody who's holier than you. Like when you think of rich, you think, I think, you know, inherently somebody who has more money than me. And, and I, I feel like I, we always kind of put ourselves maybe down a little bit and bring other people up. Or maybe we have a higher view of ourselves because of the things we know that we do that other people don't do. And so we kind of view ourselves in these value judgments of we're better or we're worse. And so I want to, I want to just stop all that and just say, look, the way we're rich in God is not because of anything we've done, but what He has done. The Bible teaches in Colossians and Ephesians and all over the place that Jesus Christ is the riches of God. And that when we're in Christ, or when we believe in Him, everything that He is becomes ours, and everything that we are becomes His, and He dies for that. That's why we can be saved. Is By faith, what we are is Him, and what He is is us. And so His life, His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection is mine. His perfect obedience to God before all the laws and His Father is mine. My terrible, poor record is His. It's a great exchange. That's what faith is. When we say faith, um, and then that can be just weak, little faith in that, or that can be, well, I'm really convinced of that, of that truth, but if I'm going to rest my, my life in that, then uh, no matter if I'm a little bit convinced or a lot convinced, if I'm going to place myself upon that, that truth of Jesus for me and me with Jesus, if I'm, full, if I'm into that boat, then that's going to carry me. Now I have all that He has. It's mine. Rich in, in, in Jesus. Rich in God. That's what it means to be rich toward God. And, so, and that's actually going to drive us, if we believe in that, if that's really who we are, if we sort of internalize that, that's going to transform us. The way we deal with money, the way we deal with everything. That is it. So let me, let me just uh, tell you that, that uh, God restores us not because of our zeal towards Him or our feeling bad for our sin or because we're doing right, keeping a lot of laws. He does it entirely apart from anything we do. It's all about Him and, what, and, and Jesus. That's grace. That's a treasure. That's a treasure we could never earn. That's a treasure we could never find. Uh, it's a treasure we, that is absolutely external to us. We're never going to get to it left up to our own efforts. God has to take dead sinners like me and you and get, breathe life into us, give us a new heart, and allow us to turn the light in our hearts and let us see Jesus. Because we're never going to get it without a heart change. And then we can be rich in God. Okay? Did I do that? Am I doing that? Okay. All right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
We need to be a people with a new heart for God, rich in Him. And if we do have that, we can change the world. We're going to be able to consider someone more than, our, more than accumulating possessions. Now, there are millions of people, billions of people, thousands of people near this guy probably who were in need, who could have used some of his resources, but all he's thinking about is himself. He's radically obsessed in his own little world. And I'm going to tell you, if we've internalized that Jesus is for us, we've got to start tomorrow, or right now actually, a habit of giving. Okay, giving. Um, we've got to do that now or we're never going to do it. So, so let's just all line up and give me something tonight. Let's just start practicing that. Or let's, let's, figure out, let's figure out some kind of institute. No, let's not do that. Let's do some, figure out some kind of institutional way to where you can make sure that you start giving to something now. Now, it doesn't have to be giving you know, um, money to somebody. It can be giving time. Uh, but, but if you start giving either the gospel to someone you know that you love, that you're praying for, maybe start praying for someone regularly, a friend. Uh, maybe start looking, at, at looking around at the world, at the poverty in the world, and letting that transform you. And, your, and what your mission or purpose is. Like, see, like, if, you, if your purpose is no bigger than you and you're building up your barns, uh, it's ultimately going to be taken away from you. But if you have some kind of larger purpose, it can multiply and have an impact far beyond your life. Like helping eliminate poverty or trafficking or, or, or you know, creating new medicine to solve problems in our world. Um, mercy. There's, kind of, there's all kinds of things we can do to change the world. And it takes somebody who is transformed by the riches of God, the treasure of God, to really treasure somebody else. Because you have to know what it's like to be treasured in order to treasure somebody else. That God's really jealous for you, really passionate about you, for you to have any other passion beyond yourself. To know what it's like to be loved in order to give love. That is a true treasure. It's a true treasure to stand before somebody, like somebody you're going to marry, and say, I'm going to say yes to you and no to every other person in the whole world. Okay, that, that's giving of yourself. I'm going to die to myself and live for you. That kind of stuff. When you say something like that, that's transformative. That's, about, that's, that's jealousy. That's giving. And that's what Jesus says exactly about us. He says yes to you. Not that we deserve it, but because He loves us. And so our only un- obligation here... If you're not a Christian, okay, think about it. if you're not a Christian, okay, you're not under that obligation. Keep on building your barns. Keep on building up, building up, building up, building up. Uh, the obligation here is for Christians. Okay, if you're a Christian, don't live like the fool in the story. Don't live like that. There's almost, almost nothing sadder than a Christian who has no idea who he is, who's not socially aware of what he is. Uh, a Christian is not to build up his own kingdom, but, to, but you get resources in order to give them, actually. Uh, you get them to give them. And so there's no excuse for you any longer or me to be like the fool if we're in Christ, if our hope is in Him. You've got to see it coming. You've got to see this coming, that there is there's death coming. There's an end to you coming. 
your, your, your resources, your life, your breath is limited. And, and there's a real impetus to not waste it. Whatever you have here, to not waste it, just building up barns, but giving um, it to giving it away. And so let me close with, with a verse um, from Hebrews 13, 5. It says essentially that, uh, you know, beware of covetousness. It's a warning. He says, for the Lord your God is with you. He's present with you. That is the key to, to being aware of the love of money, covetousness. God is with you. And if he's with you, what does that mean? He's going to take care of you and me. He's going to lead us to India. He's going to lead us to uh, wherever it is that God calls you to serve Him. He's going to lead you right out of this room to your dorms, to your classes, to change the world. Because He's with us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. God gives Himself to unworthy people like me and you. That's beautiful. Let's pray and we'll end it there.